Today's topic on the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is the optimal frequency of BFR training. It's a question we get a lot in the inbox. So we wanna run through that today. And as far as structure goes, we are going to review some common recommendations. So we'll talk about the logic behind if you were to just Google search right now or try to look in the literature on you know what is the optimal frequency, how many times per week should I train with BFR? Uh, we'll go through those common recommendations, where they come from and where they might be a bit misguided, not necessarily misguided, just lacking a bit of context. And from there, we will discuss the safety of training BFR. You know, Is it safe to train multiple times per week? How many times per week do we know for sure is safe? Is there a number? We'll get into that. And then most importantly, we'll build sort of a systems-based approach to identifying your ideal frequency because spoiler alert, spoiler alert there's no universal answer. Uh, we're not gonna finish this episode by saying for every person out there, the optimal frequency of training BFR is three times per week because there's many, this is a multifactorial issue. Everybody has different training goals, uh, different training capacity. So we would rather provide a framework for you to you know, reference off of to figure out your ideal frequency than just try to come up with an arbitrary recommendation. So that is the goal of today's episode. But first, let's just go through to start off some common recommendations. What are you gonna see if you try to look up how many times you should train with BFR? And that is gonna be somewhere in the range of one to four times per week. That's kind of commonly what you'll hear. Uh, that's usually what when somebody asks us, when we get at Saga, we'll get an uh, email in the inbox. They'll say, I heard that I should train one to three times a week or one to four times a week. Where does that come from? Really, that's just coming from traditional resistance training guidelines. Uh, they're, they're more like broad recommendations that I think uh, many will just take literally as there's some specific reason why with BFR specifically, I need to train no more than four times a week. Uh, when again, these are just kind of broad recommendations, um, which is to say that there's no physiologically known reason why you should limit the amount of times you train BFR per week. That's different from a reason why you should limit traditional training to a certain amount per week. Again, there's no magic number. Uh, we're not limited by BFR specifically, but more so limited by our own recovery constraints or recovery abilities. So BFR or not for resistance training, we know that there's a range of, of weekly frequencies. So, you know, how many times you train per week uh, that will work well based on your goals. So we know in general, hitting a muscle group twice per week is probably a good idea. It's probably a lot better than hitting a muscle group once per week. And then as far as sessions per week go of, of resistance training, if our goal is building strength and muscle, uh, we'll probably see a lot better results going twice a week than just once. We'll see a little bit more, uh, a little bit better results going up to three times and probably incrementally thereafter up to four, five, six, you'll probably start to see the curve flatten out around six-ish sessions per week. Uh, but again, in general, you know, as you move north of one, you see a pretty steep increase in the first few, you know, from one to two to three, and it starts to flatten off in terms of benefits uh, as you progress from there. And that's gonna be the same, uh, whether it's, you know, you're, you're looking at strictly resistance training or strictly BFR training. But what about safety? What does the literature say there? So we've seen a broad range of frequencies from once per week, all the way to two times per day over the short term. So that was a, a three-week study. Uh, there's a study by Nielsen in 2017 where they did 23 sessions over 19 days. It was something like four sets of knee extensions to failure under BFR. Now, that was a you know ultra-high frequency 
study and it was only with a small group of subjects, 10 college age males, but we don't have an upper limit established at this point. And you'll see shortly why we probably never will. And that's just because BFR training is, is so like traditional resistance training is just dependent on your unique recovery capabilities, your unique physiology. And of course, as we'll get into in the, the bulk of this episode, your unique goals. Uh, but what we can do to stay grounded in the literature is reference a few systematic reviews or meta-analyses on the safety of blood flow restriction training, because these include several studies. Uh, we should have dozens of studies across these two that I will reference here, uh, where there's a, a larger group of test subjects when you pull them all together and a large range of frequencies. So the systemic effects of blood flow restriction training, which we've referenced before. I'll just read a direct quote on safety from this systematic review. So although BFR prescription parameters and exercise interventions varied, the majority of included articles reported BFR training to produce favorable or non-detrimental effects to the cardiovascular, endocrine, and musculoskeletal systems. Uh, they go on to say that, you know, they found no detrimental outcomes directly attributed to BFR training uh, on the test subjects. Thus, BFR training may be an effective intervention. So th that's a, a systematic review we've referenced before. Uh, I'll reference another one. Both of these will be included in the show notes, but uh, I figured it would be interesting to pull in one that specifically uh, investigated the effects of BFR on elderly population. Uh, so this is called the effects of blood flow restriction training on muscular strength and hypertrophy in older individuals, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Uh, this there was 11 studies included in this meta-analysis and what i liked about it was you know we we can see uh some of the studies were walking oriented so they would just uh apply bfr as a modality while uh, the test subjects were walking uh, and then some involved resistance training and there is again a broad range of uh, frequencies here from a 12-week study where they were doing where the subjects were uh, resistance training twice per week, all the way to a uh, 10-week study at four days a week walking under BFR. So kind of a broad range, a broad mixture from, from two to four-ish times per week, training under BFR with, with of course, different forms of, of physical movement and exercise. And again, we can see the, you know, that there aren't directly attributable uh, detrimental outcomes from blood flow restriction training. It's just up to the unique recovery capabilities of each individual. So we can sort of confidently say, at least from the available data, that you know, anywhere from one to four-ish times per week, technically we've got a couple studies looking at ultra high frequency, um, but seems to be relatively safe from the perspective of these authors. It's just important to note that we don't have a reason to believe necessarily that BFR suddenly becomes dangerous outside of those timeframes. And that's not what the authors are suggesting. If you dig into these meta-analyses, uh, it's just, again, the data that we have available. And of course we know there are plenty of people who have, you know, if, if you speak to practitioners, physical therapists, strength coaches, sports scientists, uh, there's plenty of people who have applied BFR as a modality, you know, frequently for years and years and years without any adverse effects. The guiding principle, as far as safety is concerned though, it should be train with what you can handle. So view it the same way, approach it the same way that you would approach your traditional training, which is dramatic spikes in volume or intensity, uh, or just poor recovery 
can lead to increased injury risk, you know, non-functional overreaching. And obviously if it's bad enough, something like rhabdomyolysis, which would be no good. Um, again, that's traditional training or BFR training with to just approach our training smart. And what that looks like is, you know, gradual progression, no large or drastic spikes in volume, and then just, you know, listen to feedback from your body. And I'll add this here as well. Like I add this at the end of each episode, but as a disclaimer, this is certainly not medical advice. If you have any concerns about uh, the safety of BFR training for you specifically, I would talk to your doctor. But what we're doing here on this podcast is sort of providing uh, what the literature tells us today about the broad safety of BFR for most people. Okay, so we've gone through the common recommendations, discussed how you know they can be maybe a bit arbitrary, but kind of went through the reasoning behind where they arrived from. We went through the safety, and now with the assumption that you know the safety concern has been addressed, and we're just looking to improve performance, let's discuss the systems-based approach to identifying your optimal BFR training frequency. And to do that, you can ask yourself a series of questions. So we'll start with question number one, which is, is strength, is max strength a primary goal? Because if so, you, you can't get around heavy loads. And you know, lifting heavy, especially you know, if you're a power lifter, it should encompass a large percentage of the work that you're doing of your resistance training work. That said, specificity, fundamental principle of sports science, training science, which just says that we should either, whatever we're trying to get good at, we should either directly be training the thing or training the underlying systems and structures that support it. Um, and if in the example of a power lifter, if BFR enables you to add muscle, which it can while training at a lighter load and kind of sparing, you know, power lifters go through some, some pretty big uh, disruption to their connective tissues, their joints, you're, you're moving a lot of heavy weights. Uh, and sometimes the focus of power lifters, if they're far out from competition, can be a little bit less on max strength while that's the ultimate goal, their their immediate focus is on adding muscle mass to then convert that that size and strength into strength later down the road. And this is where BFR can be a modality that a powerlifter would apply because again, it's not training the thing directly. They're not you know deadlifting, squatting, benching heavy, uh, but but they're focusing on adding muscle that will later be converted to strength. And again, in in most cases, for somebody who's very concerned with maximum strength. Even when they're doing that, when their focus is on muscle growth, they're probably going to want to stick in lower rep ranges than BFR would, would normally draw you to. So they're probably going to be hanging out more in the six to 10 ish rep range because it's close enough to that max strength number. Uh, but again, even when you get down into the six to 10 rep range, the stress on the joints can still be pretty substantial. So in the case where the power lifter needs to give a break to joints and connective tissues again, this is somewhere where BFR can be a really good implementation, again, allowing them to build or maintain muscle while training at a lighter load. Because of course, with BFR, you're generally not gonna be training in rep ranges any less than 15 to 30. So that's your first question to ask. Is max strength my primary goal? If it is, you need to take what we just discussed into consideration and think about, okay, you know, moving heavy loads should encompass a large majority of my work. But if I'm in an instance where Again, joints and connective tissue need some some rest. Uh, I'm further out maybe from competition and I'm focusing on building muscle at this time. Uh, a combination of those two things can kind of allow BFR to make more sense as an implementation for you. And if you are gonna implement it where it would kind of make sense, assuming you're still kind of keeping those lower-ish rep ranges involved in your training week, it would make a lot of sense towards the tail end of your training week where 
if you're applying, you know, let's say the early portion of the week, you're getting most of your heavy work in, working maybe closer in the five to 10 rep range. And, you know, as the week goes on, you're sort of pulling back, allowing the connective tissues to have a break, repair, get ready for heavy loading again at the early end of next week. So that, that kind of allows the, the most stress to be at the early portion of the week. And as the week goes on, you're still accumulating volume, building muscle mass. Uh, but again, you're pulling back a little bit to sort of gear up for that heavy work early again the following week. Okay, probably a longer tangent than I planned on for max strength specifically or powerlifting specifically, but that's sort of a framework you can operate off of if you know max strength is your goal. If your goals, the next question would be, okay, are your goals strictly physique-based? Are you either just somebody who wants to put on muscle and you're not super concerned with performance, it's just, let me put on some muscle, I wanna look good, maybe you're a bodybuilder, competition, athlete, physique athlete, whatever it is. If so, we have a, a little bit more, I guess a lot more leeway here as far as how often it makes sense to incorporate BFR. And in this case, you can implement BFR as, as often as you like or can handle, but there, you know, that's a pretty broad recommendation. So there's two additional questions or considerations that will help narrow down your ideal frequency here. So assuming, okay, are you a physique athlete or is physique your primary goal? Yes, it is. The layer two questions would be, do you have time or weight access constraints? What that means is if you do have a time constraint, in other words, look, I'm busy, I travel a lot, you know, I'm an executive or whatever it is, I'm willing to dedicate 30 minutes twice a week to resistance training, uh, then you may have, uh, it kind of opens up the door to where BFR makes a bit more sense to include more frequently. That's because, and we've done a full episode on this in more detail, uh, but BFR training is pretty conducive to time constraint situations because they're generally high rep and low rest sets. So that's good for a few reasons. High reps, uh, high rep sets require less warm up. Um, certainly not suggesting that you don't warm up at all, but the difference in prep time that it takes to warm up for a set of five on bench or squat or whatever, whatever movement you're doing between warming up for a set of 30, I mean, 30, a set of 30 is a warm up set in itself. Uh, the weight is going to be so, so much more reduced uh, that you can kind of jump right into your workout much quicker versus if you got 30 minutes, you're not going to spend 21 minutes getting ready for a set, do one or two sets and then head home. You'd have much better luck, you know, focusing in the higher rep ranges, jumping kind of more into the workout quicker without draining a ton of time for the warm up. And then again, the second part to that is with BFR, it makes a lot of sense to cut your, your rest windows down because we're pulling on that metabolic stress portion, uh, string, I guess you could call it to achieve hypertrophy. Of course, mechanical tension is involved. It's always probably the primary driver to muscle growth, but again, that pump and burn and metabolite accumulation are look to be huge portions of what's driving muscle growth from BFR training. So if you have a time constraint, it sort of makes a, a lot of sense to implement BFR during your training for, the, for those reasons. The second layer two question after we've addressed, yes, physique is my primary goal. Uh, the second one is, do you have limited access to weights? Because if so, uh, BFR is almost certainly going to give you a better stimulus from your training. So if you're traveling, you've got a poor hotel gym, maybe there's just a couple smaller dumbbells or maybe it's body weight only. Uh, if you have low or no external loads to add, load to add, you'll almost certainly get a better bang for your buck by strapping on BFR cuffs 
and pulling more on that metabolic stress string uh, than you would otherwise. Okay, what if you don't have time constraints or weight access constraints? You're, you know, you commonly have access to a good gym or a home gym or whatever else. How often, when does it make sense in that case to apply BFR? Some general guidelines. Uh, we know from literature on traditional resistance training that we'll see roughly equivalent results whether we're training in rep ranges of 5 to 10, 10 to 20, or 20 to 30. So really anywhere from 5 to 30 reps, uh, we're going to get very similar muscle growth from. As provided, the caveat is that your set of 10, 20, or 30, you should be approaching failure on those sets. So with that in mind, uh, it probably makes most sense though to train in a variety of rep ranges. It's it's hard to say that this is fully necessary, uh, but if somebody somebody's goal is to get uh, you know put on as much muscle as possible, or if you just want to make sure that you have some strength, uh, or or place an extra emphasis on building some strength alongside your muscle, it probably makes sense to kind of mix in multiple rep ranges. If you're gonna do that then where BFR would make a lot of sense is either at the end of a session or and or towards the end of your training week. So like I mentioned earlier, if you are gonna train in a variety of rep ranges, you're probably gonna do the heavy sets earlier in the week when you're most rested, assuming most people kind of take the weekends uh, as maybe rest days. And then as the week goes on, you're, you're maybe moving into the lighter rep ranges. And that's where not only does that kind of tee you up for the following week, because let's say Monday and Tuesday are your heavy days or Monday and Wednesday. Uh, if you kind of give Thursday, Friday, Saturday as your lighter load days, you're also starting to prepare uh, rest for the following week. So you kind of give them a chance. You not only el eliminate or reduce the possibility of disruption, further disruption, to your connective tissues when they've just gone through a, a brutal session on Monday, Tuesday in the early portion of the week. But again, you're also, I'm probably belaboring this point, but you're teeing yourself up to be more fresh the following week. So BFR again, it makes a lot of sense either at the end of your session. So if you're going to do some sort of, you know, finisher, maybe you've gotten your heavier work out of the way, um, or just at the end of the week. So towards the tail end of your week, if you are going to train in a variety of rep ranges. Again, there's no, we don't have to train in all rep ranges. And if you prefer to train in the lighter rep ranges and you want to train with BFR, um, you know, as often as extremely often, that's totally fine. As long as your body can, can tolerate, uh, the training demands, there's, there's absolutely no need to limit yourself to a specific number. So to kind of tie a, a ribbon on that, if your goals are physique based, you've got more flexibility than you would if you have very specific strength goals. Uh, and, and just remember to ask yourself, okay, do I have limited access to weights or, and, or do I have a time constraint? Because those two things will feed you into probably more BFR frequency. Uh, if you don't have either of those constraints, then again, it's just up to as often as you want to train with BFR under the kind of guide that it makes most sense in most cases to apply BFR towards the end of your session and or towards the end of your training week to tee yourself up for a strong start to the next week. Okay, so we've gone through the muscle and strength side. Uh, the next question you could ask yourself is, are your goals endurance-based? So if your goals are endurance-based, this portion will, will make sense for you. So we've addressed this before, but endurance is a very, very broad term. You know, there's aerobic endurance, there's various derivatives of anaerobic endurance. You know, we've got lactate threshold training, Etc. And what we know about how BFR kind of plays into the endurance picture 
is that because it's limiting blood flow to the working muscles, and again, here I'm, I'm generally referring to lower body training, so lower body BFR cuffs, because it limits blood flow to the working muscle and prevents blood from leaving. So if, if no blood is leaving your limb, we're gonna see a reduced stroke volume. And again, stroke volume is the amount of blood that is pumped out per contraction of your heart. Uh, so because of that, we've got, okay, we've got less blood going in the leg. That, mean, that means less oxygen, which obviously we can sort of all deduce that's gonna make the, the session a little bit more difficult. But that, that lack of blood leaving the limb going back to the heart reduces our stroke volume which means in order to kind of keep up with the demand, because blood flow is sort of uh, limited by, uh, it, it's limited by more than this, but to simplify it, our cardiac output is limited by heart rate and stroke volume. So the faster your heart beats times the amount of blood that's pumped out by each contraction. So that's your stroke volume. If our stroke volume drops because blood is not leaving the legs, then our heart rate sort of increases as a, compensatory strategy. So we have a situation where our heart rate is higher than it normally would be because our stroke volume is is not increased to the same degree that it normally would. So our heart rate sort of compensatorily increases. And then we also have less oxygen reaching our legs, which just makes the session more difficult. So where BFR fits into the picture is it just elevates the intensity of your session, whatever that intensity was. Uh, at the same level of work, you're just achieving a higher intensity and it will generally do so in less time so just like we had sort of our our, our top level question and then a layer two series of questions for physique goals we have the same thing for endurance goals so assuming you you have some endurance goals those layer two questions here are do you have a time constraint or do you have an output constraint and i'll clarify what i mean by that so of course time constraint, we kind of went into that with resistance training, but now on the endurance side, we know that uh, from the literature doing endurance bouts, think about, you know, the assault bike or the echo bike, uh, under BFR, it's going to bring you to, for instance, your lactate threshold with less work and in less time. So less total work. If you could picture like the Watts on a bike, if you, if you've ever used, you know, rogues echo bike, you can see the amount of Watts in front of you. Uh, if you were producing the same amount of Watts and the same amount of time period, uh, and you do the same workout twice, you will be much closer to your lactate threshold or, or have lactate accumulation than you would, uh, with BFR cuffs than you would without. So if you're looking to kind of expedite the process to reach a certain level of, uh, you know, blood lactate accumulation or, um, to train at your lactate threshold with less output then BFR makes sense as a modality to implement here in your endurance sessions. So again, those layer two questions are, you know, do you have a time constraint or do you have an output constraint? An output constraint is a kind of a broad term, but that could be anything. Even, um, I guess a brief example would be somebody who I worked with recently was having hip issues and trying to condition on the assault bike once he would get over a certain speed, the kind of repetitive motion uh, of the hip movement on the assault bike started to irritate his hip. So keeping him at a lower pace on the bike actually eliminated any sort of hip pain, but adding the BFR cuffs as a modality just allowed that lower intensity output from his actual physical movement or mechanical movement to have a higher stimulus because of the reduced blood flow into the limb and uh, occluded blood flow from leaving the limb. Okay, so that's endurance. Lastly, 
What about injury? It's funny to me as I scripted this episode, uh, I realized that injury, which is generally the first thing people think of when it comes to BFR training, I saved this one for last somehow, but are your goals injury recovery based? In other words, you know, you've got an injury that would preclude you from heavy loading. Like a torn ACL is always the, the first example that comes to mind. If so, BFR under uh, resistance training under BFR is probably your best bet for maintaining strength and muscle. Um, and in this case, at least when it comes to the muscle that is recovering or injured, you can train BFR as frequently, not only can you, it probably makes most sense to train under BFR as frequently as you can recover from. We plan to do a full literature review on BFR for broadly musculoskeletal rehab uh, and go into much more depth than we can here. And we'll, we'll go into specifics like ACL rehab as well, but just to, to kind of wrap this episode up, uh, of course, this is kind of like the moneymaker for BFR. If you are recovering from an injury, it makes a ton of sense to incorporate this modality as often as you can recover from. But that's a wrap on this episode. Obviously not a crystal clear answer. I wish that I could give one. Um, but again, <laughs> there's rarely ever an opportunity where you can give a broad, universal, uh, specific figure. As I mentioned earlier, context is always important. Goals are always important. But I hope at least to some degree, this episode gave you some questions that you could ask internally um, and a bit of a framework that you can operate off of uh, to kind of come to the consensus on, you know, maybe how often or how frequently you could train under BFR uh, and how, how it makes sense for you and your goals. But at least if this episode brought some clarity around the safety and addressed some of the safety concerns, I'd call that a win as well. But that is all for this episode. We will see you guys on the next episode very soon.